We're going to put our crosshairs back on Andy Stanley and talk about why everything is founded on God's word. We're also going to look at an email in this episode. This is Matthew Garnett. Welcome to In Layman's Terms. You can keep all the Ten Commandments and be a terrible husband, terrible friend, terrible employee, but you can't take 1 Corinthians 13 or the fruit of the Spirit and be a terrible friend, father, mother, husband, or wife. Okay, so we're going to look at an interview recently on the Unbelievable Podcast on Premier Christian Radio. And I'm so happy that this came across on Premier Christian Radio because I like to say Premier Christian Radio. Uh, so at any rate, um, Jeff Durbin was invited to talk to Andy Stanley about uh, this whole notion of unhitching from the Old Testament. I think, um, in my opinion, uh, uh, Pastor Durbin did a, a very nice job in the interview. Uh I would have done things differently, but at the same time, as we're going to see from our email, we're actually going to reverse these couple things. I'm going to read the email and talk about what it's like to podcast, what it's like to interview, um, what it's like to try to uh, persuade, these sorts of things. But when when you're in the moment, it's uh, trying to prepare for something like that, it's difficult. It, it is really difficult. I, I've been on the news before. I know what that's like. You've got a few seconds to say what you want to say. And then, you know, four or five hours later, you wish you would have said something differently. And so I, I got to listen to this interview and then think about it for like a week. And I'm now I'm going to react to it. But for the most part, I thought Pastor Durbin did a very nice job. Although I would, I would, I would have emphasized some things differently, although he didn't fail to mention them. Uh, but, but that's what we're going to talk about here and, and demonstrate how, while Pastor Stanley I think is well-meaning. Uh, he's got he's got some major flaws in how he's approaching this thing. Now, whether those are intended or un, unintended, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I do know that they're that they're very dangerous, and they can lead da uh, down a path that will put he and his ministry in great peril. So anyway, we're going to do that. Uh, but first, we're going to read an email. But but even before that. Let me welcome all of those listening on KNNA The Cross. Also, listen, uh, to all those listening to us uh, from the MessedUpChurch.com website. Thank you to Steve Kozar for hosting us there. And thank you to Pastor Poppy and all of you in Nebraska listening on KNNA The Cross. Um, yeah, we're doing this well project thing. And we're trying to, to raise money to dig a well for uh, Kenyan Christian students at a Lutheran school in Kenya. We would like you to donate. There's a couple ways you can do that. One, you can go to my website. You can listen to us on messedupchurch.com for free. We always we post there, generally speaking. Sometimes we miss some weeks, but generally speaking, we're post we're posting on messedupchurch.com. You can listen to us there. But if you if you would like to contribute, go to laymanstermsradio.org. Donate five, ten, or fifteen dollars per episode you listen to. Just like buying a cup of coffee. Right. If you want to listen to my podcast this week, donate five bucks. If you want to listen to my podcast next week, donate five bucks or 10 bucks or 15 bucks. It's a pretty simple concept. You don't have to donate, but we're asking you to donate. And those donations go to the Kenya Well Project. Also, you can donate in, in a lump sum of $50 through our, our GoFundMe project. If, if we had everybody, if we had everybody who is listening to 
to our podcast. We've got enough people. We could have this thing done, people. Done. Just easily done. I say this every week, but it, but it's ridiculous. It's, I mean, <laughs> we're too comfortable. Get out of your comfort zone and donate five bucks. That's, it's as simple as that. Okay. So let's get to it. I want to talk to, uh, about this email. First of all, it comes from my friend Rob and he sent me a message on Facebook and it says this. The episode criticizing, uh, critiquing 1517 was frustrating because you were going out of your way to be fair. I can't imagine how someone outside of her confessions felt, but I felt this complaint is more subjective. I feel sometimes you're trying so hard to be fair to other sides, you can often forget what you believe and to make that clear. I thought this was the case with the SJW interview. He's referring to my interview with um, with Kyle J. Howard. A lot of your style can drive me crazy because you can take like five minutes to say a thing where I would just say it. But people would probably be like, ouch. Different personalities there. Not much can be done about that. There are a few issues. I hope you don't see me as an enemy. Uh, but just sometimes frustrated. Just a frustrated brother who enjoys the show. No, Rob, I don't, definitely don't see you as an enemy. Um, we've, we've spoken many times. And uh, what's interesting about this is, you know, I'm, I'm between the proverbial rock and hard place here. Because I, I think... You're right. I've, I could have just mentioned in that 1517 legacy uh, critique that, yes, I respect these men and done deal. I could have just said that once, but I, like, I had to say it every time <laughs> I made a comment. So I probably overkilled that. I, I agree. However, on the other side of things, I still have people telling me that um, I'm breaking the Eighth Commandment by by putting that out. So I, I'm not quite sure where to land on this. Um, I, I, I think that... Being forthright in what you think is is a tricky thing, and that that's kind of what Pastor Durbin is going to get into in this in this interview on on uh, Premier Christian Radio uh, with Justin Brierley and, and Andy Stanley. They're going to he's going to struggle with trying to be fair to Pastor Stanley and be be polite to him, etc. And that 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 is hard. It, I, I got to admit to you, it's really hard, especially in the moment. You know when you when you're interviewing somebody who. Uh, who's got some some clout on the other side? You you feel honored to have their time in a way, and and it's difficult. These things are difficult. And then you know while <laughs> while you know you're 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 going out of your way to be fair, you're still going to be criticized as breaking the eighth commandment by by your opponents. Um, and I think that's true. And I'm glad. This is why I'm glad Rob mentioned this to me because. Well, I think I do probably go out of my way to be fair. What's interesting about it is, is even when I do that, I'm still accused of breaking the Eighth Commandment, especially when I criticize Lutherans. Now, have I broken the Eighth Commandment when criticizing Lutherans? Yes, I have. Did I do it in that 1517 Legacy interview? No, I did not. But was I accused of it? Yes, I was. And so my problem with that whole thing is, and that's why I'm so glad that Rob brought this up to me, is that there are people who will use the Eighth Commandment to avoid talking. It's a red herring. That's what it is. And that's why Rob's email is so important. Because I, obviously, you know, as at, I'm at, obviously, you know, he's, nobody's completely objective. <clears throat> but from his point of view, I was overly fair. 
And yet I still got accused of breaking the Eighth Commandment by those who would uh, eschew me criticizing 1517. See. And that convinces me that the Eighth Commandment thing is a red herring when it comes to this stuff. Like we don't really want to have to address the issue you're bringing up, so we're 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 going to distract you by saying, "Oh, you didn't say it the right way. You didn't do it in the right venue. You didn't do it in the right medium. Did you talk to the people? Blah 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 blah. Right? You weren't fair enough. You didn't put the best construction on it. That can always be said. But while that might, in some ways, be a fair criticism, even when I have broken the eighth commandment, the issue still remains. There are antinomians among us, Lutherans. Okay, so this is a little Lutheran inside baseball. And if you don't think so, um, then, you know, you, that's that's what we're here for. Uh, popular versions of any uh, denomination, generally speaking, have major flaws because they get caught up in the fame. And that's what I think has happened to 1517 Legacy. That's what I'm, I think is happening to other organizations that are associated with uh, uh, historic Orthodox Luther, the, the historic Orthodox Orthodox Lutheran, Lutheran faith, and that's what I'm trying to point out. And do I break the Eighth Commandment sometime doing it? Yep, I sure do. But the issue is still there. Can we please talk about the issue? That's the issue we need to debate. All right. So anyway, thanks Rob for sending that email and. Um, Let's get on with this interview on Prema Christian Radio uh, between uh, among Justin Brierly, Jeff Durbin, and Andy Stanley. And I'm going to try to take the place of Pastor Durbin, although he makes some great points I'm going to bring out. Uh, but essentially, I'm going to step in his place and, and, and take his role in this interview. Okay, here we go. A little bit of the backstory um, is about... Nine years ago, I was watching a video with Sam Harris, who was at a university setting, you know, doing his Sam Harris thing where he dismantles the Bible and there goes Christianity. And it occurred to me, wow, there there is a false assumption that skeptics for generations have leveraged and have baited Christians into this this debate um, in the under really what I can think is a false assumption. And the assumption is as the Bible goes, so goes Christianity. So if you dismantle the Bible, Christianity goes away. You've undermined Christianity. If you, you know, if it's a 66 um, card house of cards, if you pull out Genesis, pull out Leviticus, pull out Revelation, the whole thing comes tumbling down, which is just not true. And I thought this is, uh, you know, once upon a time, maybe this didn't matter because you had to buy tickets to debates. Who's going to read their books? But now every middle school or high school or college student has access to all that misinformation. And now you can find out what else is in the Bible. Think about this without ever opening a Bible or owning a Bible or even holding a Bible. And so I just felt compelled. This is really about nine years ago to step back on sort of the classical apologetic method that I was taught. I mean, I certainly I didn't make any of this up, you know, 35, almost 40 years ago to say, hey, I would like to read to, the way I say it is I would like to tether the faith of this generation to the event that created the movement that eventually brought us the Bible to tether their faith to the event that launched the movement that eventually brought us the Bible. 
So none of this is new. It really just is a, a different approach. And it's really putting the spotlight in terms of the foundation of our faith on the event of the resurrection, which every apologist who ever debates any of the new atheist or anybody else, eventually they get to the issue of the resurrection because the documents documenting the resurrection aren't dependent on an, an inerrant scripture. They're just dependent on a historically reliable scripture. So you know, that's that was the thing that that motivated me. And so I've been talking about this for many, many years, and I kept being misunderstood as people kind of dropped into specific sermons. So one afternoon, Dr. Geisler, he's 86 now, he called me at home. I remember standing on the front porch. He said, Andy, you have to write about this. I'm like, I don't want to write about this. That's that's not my thing. I mean, that's technical. That's a you know, he says, no, you're going to continue to be misunderstood if you don't write about this. It's not enough to talk about it. So I did a little short ebook called um, Why the Bible Tells Me So Isn't Enough Anymore. And then eventually um, wrote Irresistible. So my my heartbeat or the reason I did all of this really is to shift the approach, to shift the conversation and to really I, I mean, I ask church leaders all the time, what's the faith of the next generation worth? And I think it's worth everything. And so I just began to want to help church leaders tether the faith of this generation to the event of the resurrection that brought us the movement, the church that eventually brought us the Bible. Right. So you all have heard me in some of my apologetic podcasts talk about how to defend the resurrection, how that's kind of a, kind of a knockout argument. And it is. However, what Pastor Stanley doing is a major mistake because our, our faith, as we're going to see, this is going to be kind of thematic. So forgive me for repeating myself, but I want to beat this drum throughout this interview. Our faith is not founded on an event. It is founded on God's word. And the Bible went with Pastor Stanley. And again, I'm going to, repeat this over and over again, because I want to get this through your head. When Pastor Stanley says the Bible, he is distancing himself from saying, this is God's voice. This is the very word of God. And it's interesting kind of how he, how he does that. Our faith is not based on an event, although that event is hugely critical. As St. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, our faith is based on God's word, which is the Bible. And I'm going to explain more of that later. Maybe a little bit confusing to you. And I could see why this there's this attraction to what Pastor Stanley is talking about. To say that, uh, you know, ah, you can debunk the Bible all you want. But we have this event. This is what our faith is based on. That's a mistake. And why pa I understand why Pastor Stanley wants to do this. And forgive me, Rob. Here I am being fair again, right? I understand why Pastor Stanley wants to do this. Because he wants to circumvent the hard work of, being a, of defending Holy Scripture. Yes, you have to be able to defend the resurrection. But you also have to be able to defend Holy Scripture. Because if you cannot defend Holy Scripture... Then, then the resurrection, you can't defend the resurrection. You cannot. That's the point. When my kids were little, not little, when they were going into high school and college, I said to them, look, you know, when you get in a literature class or biology class and people bring up questions about the Old Testament 
are some of the what may be considered odd stories in the Bible. I said, don't get in a big spitting match with them about this. Here's here's your your answer. You know what? Yes, that's strange. Yes, that's odd. No, I can't explain that. But, did you know, Jesus believed that. And I just figure if somebody can predict their own death and resurrection and pull it off. I just go with whatever that person says. Now, that's not a convincing argument. It's tethering our faith to the event of the resurrection that, of course, confirmed what Jesus taught. And it confirmed what Jesus taught about the law and the prophets. So, again, it's a, it's sequential is the difference. And anyway. Right. That's not what I do. I mean, I've obviously taught my children about how to defend the resurrection. In fact, my son gave a, a speech in school about how to defend the resurrection. It was pretty, he did a pretty nice job with it. Um, however, I also teach them how to defend Holy Scripture. So when when somebody comes to me about comes to them uh, with a question about Holy Scripture, or when they're questioning things, um, they're the they are falling back on the reliability of Holy Scripture. And again, we're now Pastor Stanley and Pastor Durbin are talking about apologetics in a sense that I don't really like because apologetics is a defense of the faith. And so somebody in, in, in what St. Peter teaches us is be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have, right? So when somebody challenge when somebody challenges our faith, we, we give an answer, yes, to them, but also to ourselves. Like Mr. Miyagi says, I, this is, I have the Miyagi version of, of apologetics. Um, and I'm maybe dating myself here. So, But if you've ever heard of Karate Kid, if you've ever seen Karate Kid, um, what does Mr. Miyagi say about karate? Karate is for defense only. Karate is for defense only. And that's how, that's my personal approach to apologetics, not my personal approach. I think it is the approach to apologetics. Apologetics is for defense only. You are defending your faith. So when somebody challenges your faith, you fall back on how on these things to defend. You're not trying to convince them necessarily. What you're trying to do is keep your faith from being shaken. And if you cannot defend Holy Scripture, then you're going to have a difficult time defending your faith. You, you, if, if, if the only thing you can do is defend the resurrection and you can't defend Holy Scripture, that's going to be a problem. All right. Again, this is going to be thematic, but I, I just want to drive this point home. Um, because I think Pastor Stanley is way off here and, and, and going down a very dangerous path when we say, Oh, never mind the Bible. Never mind God's voice to us. That thing that kind of defines everything. It's just this event that we're going to focus on. That's what matters. All right. Let's continue on. More to the point is the Apostle Paul saying, okay, if there's no resurrection, Christ isn't raised. If Christ isn't raised, game over. He doesn't say, but we have the law and the prophets, and we still have the Apocalypse of John, which haven't been written yet, of course. We still have it. In other words, the whole thing is... The resurrection, and to, to your point about um, William Lane Craig's conversation, I, I I agree with you. What's going on in the hearts of men and women in terms of their response or openness or their election? Again, we have no control over that. I'm just talking about how we approach them with our conversation, and I doubt we would take a very different approach. Not talking about approaches, but in terms of actual conversation. So, okay. Let me just put this out here now. 
without God's word, there is no resurrection. Now, how can I say that? Two places, Genesis 1 and John 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, God said, let there be light. The entire universe is founded on God's voice, on his voice. I think that's the clearest way I can put it. Call it the Bible, God's word. What does that mean? You know, when, when the Bible talks about Logos, is it talking about G? It's talking about God's voice, his spoken word, incarnate in the Son. This is a major theme in the Bible. The entire universe is, is founded on God's word being true. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. I mean, right? It's, it's God's voice that even the resurrection is founded upon. I mean, if the entire universe is founded upon God's word, then the resurrection has to be founded on God's word. Yeah? Has to be. And so for, for Stanley to, to bifurcate this um, is, is an incredible error. Cannot be done. He is taking away, and, and Pastor Durbin does point this out, and he's, and, He's too polite in doing it, in my opinion. I've got the same criticism of Pastor Durbin that, that my friend Rob has of me sometimes. She's too fair. Uh, but, but at the same time, Pastor Durbin does point this out. That the, but you, you take away the foundation of God's word. There is no universe, period. Forget about a resurrection. You and I wouldn't be sitting here apart from God's word, which is, quote, the Bible. When we say the Bible, again, Pastor Stanley is... Sounds like he's getting inculcated with this idea that the Bible is just, you know, some document. And and we're going to find out about, uh, find out kind of how far he's gone down that path later. Let's go on. So what is the foundation of your faith? I mean, why do you believe what you believe? The word of the living God. Okay. Well, again, when we, when you ask the question like that, it's interesting because the the Greek Septuagint, which the early Christians had, no, but just this is yes or no. <laughs> I'm trying. No, actually, I'm, I'm I'm answering the question. That Bible that they had, that they actually knew about, that was held up in the temple, that um, they all had access to, the law, and the law and the prophets had prophesied the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was a guaranteed and sure event in history. But of course, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then, there, then we'd be we'd be uh, to be pitied. We'd, there'd be no faith, of course. But we there would, know be, no, there would be no Bible. That well, there, there would be there would be no, nothing to be, in terms of believing in this man who said he was the Messiah. There would be. But I know but there would be no Bible, correct? The old, well, the Old Testament said that the Messiah was going to rise again from the dead. Right, sort of. Nobody expected a resurrection. But if there had been no resurrection. There would be no the B-I-B-L-E, and you and I would know virtually nothing about the Law and the Prophets because we learned everything we learned about the Law and the Prophets in church, and it would have been you know relegated to the Enuma Elish or some other Babylonian myth and some we'd have studied it in school. But there would be no Bible if there had not been a resurrection. 
Well, I think that that's a non sequitur in terms of trying to create a disjunction between the no, old and the but, but, No, 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 it's not, no. Because there's one unified we, revelation. I think that's actually the, the major point of conflict between us is that um, – is that Christians historically have seen that this is there's an organic unity between the Old and New Testaments and the sovereign. I, I agree because Jesus rose from the dead and his story worth telling. Because it was and prophesied that he would done so. Let, 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 and Gentiles let, began to take the Hebrew scripture seriously because they took a Hebrew script seriously. Jesus. It, again, it's sequential. All right. Now that is a really interesting exchange. And here's where I think Pastor Durbin could have been a little more forceful. Would have brought up the fact that the universe is based on God's word. The B-I-B-L-E. This is how my friends talked at Claremont. Okay. The bippity-bip-bop Bible. That's what we used to say. People would bring in the Bible to bear on a situation. Oh, you're just, you know, you're bringing the B-I-B-L-E. They did not take the Bible to be God's voice. And that's what I worry about with Pastor Stanley. The Bible is God's voice. This is what created the universe. This is what sustains everything, including the resurrection. And this is where, you know, I wish Pastor Durbin would have been a little more forceful. Granted, he's on an English uh, broadcast, and it's not... uh, Becoming to be forceful or rude or whatever. And again, in the moment, these interviews are tough. They are tough. I've been in them and and you're like, "Mm, I wish I would have done that later. And I've had a week to think about this. So, you know, not taking away anything from Pastor Pastor Durbin. And again, here's my, (laughs) this is how I, this is how I podcast, Rob. This is how I do it. I, I, I try to be fair to everybody because I want everybody to be fair to me. But, yes, this, this is where I would have dropped the hammer on Pastor Stanley. Pastor Stanley, the Bible is God's voice. The entire universe, including the resurrection, is founded on his voice. Period. End of story. That's where I would have, uh, where I would have gone with this. I would have said absolutely, unequivocally, yes, my faith is founded on the Bible. Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, as he puts it, because it is God's voice. That's the thing. It, that's the thing that founded the universe. And if that's the thing that founded the universe, created the universe, God's voice saying, let there be light, then I, <laughs> what else am I going to found my faith on? And I know it's difficult to defend Holy Scripture. It is. It's much easier. It is. It's a shortcut. Pastor Stanley's trying to find a shortcut. I get that. But it it just, that is not, that's not ultimately going to work. As, and again, as Pastor Durbin's going to point out, Pastor Durbin does a really nice job of pointing out why tethering the faith to the event of the resurrection, which can be historically demonstrated, why tethering your faith to just that event and then letting everything else follow is a bad idea. Pastor Durbin does a nice job of that. We'll get to it. But for, you know, the first 380 years or so, the, the church, in fact, the church accomplished more before there was a, the Bible than the next 300 years in terms of even surviving temple and empire. And I've heard um, Jeff talk about some of that before. So 
Um, I, I'm not, I mean, I'm not discounting the Bible. I'm just saying the foundation of our faith is not a text. The foundation of our faith is an event. Paul said that there, there would be no. Again, he's getting the, the cart before the horse here. Um, notice how he's using the language of the Bible. Uh, yeah, I kind of want to say this. I want to save the next thing I want to say because Pastor Stanley keeps talking about oh the Bible you know we didn't get the Bible till the Bible you know it's kind of it's kind of this passe thing we need to focus on the event of the resurrection okay so I'm going to show you why that doesn't work in a second which I, I think well, but would we have our Bible if there had been no resurrection okay here it is so I kind of yeah kind of got sued. Would we have our Bible had there been no resurrection? Every time Pastor Stanley says the Bible, replace that with God's voice. Would we have God's voice had there been no resurrection? Interesting way to put it. Would we have God... Again, I like to say God's voice. It kind of specifies what I'm talking about. God's voice. Friends... Your copy of the Holy Scriptures is a copy of God's voice spoken to the, the, the prophets and the apostles. That's what it is. That is God's voice. And I've talked about, I've talked many times on this podcast about how philosophically, if we don't have God's voice, we're in big trouble. Because if we don't have God's voice, then we, who are we left with? Richard Dawkins' voice. Sam Harris's voice. That's who we're left with. Our own voice. The culture's voice. We need God's voice. And so every time Pastor St- I mean, I just cringe. Because when he says the Bible, he it's, it's almost like he's, he's talking about a man-made document that... That really is just reflective of what happened in his in history, and had the resurrection not happened, then we wouldn't have had you know we would we wouldn't have had the Bible, the B I B L E, and and any any and, and, and at the same time he qualifies that by saying yes, oh I believe the Bible's in, in inspired and errant and all this, no, but but it doesn't comport with what he's talking about here at all. Because if he believed that, he would be he would treat that term, the Bible, as God's voice. Would we have God's voice without the resurrection? That I mean, that is the way to put that. And then now his mind's gonna start to go, oh, would we have God's voice without the resurrection? God's voice. God's voice. That's the Bible. Would we have God's voice without the resurrection? That's that's what Pastor, Pastor Durbin is trying trying to wrap his mind around this, because Pastor Durbin knows that the Bible is God's voice. My question is: Does Pastor Stanley know that the Bible is God's voice? Is that how he's treating it in his practical ministry? That's my question: Is Pastor Stanley treating the Bible as God's voice in his practical ministry? Okay, let's move on. Let me ask you this question. Would there be a Bible if there had been no resurrection? 
what can you explain that a little more? Would there be a Bible if there had been yeah, no? Would we have the Bible, but not yeah. not the old law and the prophets, but I mean this extraordinary piece of literature we call the Bible with the Jewish, the Hebrew Bible or Jewish scriptures, whatever you call it, and the New Testament documents. Would that even exist for us if there had been no resurrection? That little quote there disturbed me. Would we have this extraordinary piece of literature? The Bible is not an extraordinary piece of literature. The Bible, friends, if you are a Christian, is God's voice. And that's what I just emphasized. And now I just demonstrated why I'm questioning whether Pastor Stanley believes that the Bible is God's voice. It's not simply an extraordinary piece of literature. That's a understatement at best. And again, I'm hearing these themes. When I was at Claremont, you know, like I said before, talked about the Bible. You know, people pull out the Bible like it means anything, like it has any authority. Talked about the Bible as literature. That's what I studied at Claremont. Early Christian literature. That was my field of expertise, you know, dating things, trying to figure out what the history it was. I mean, it's enormously useful now, quite honestly, in, apologi- in an apologetic sense. But that's what that's literature. The New Testament is literature. That's how we spoke of it. And I was struck that Pastor Stanley chose to refer to God's voice. Again, every time, every go listen to this interview. And every time Pastor Stanley says Bible, replace that, replace Bible with God's voice. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Would we have God's voice without the resurrection? God's voice is this extraordinary piece of literature. Well, I guess in one sense that might be true. But see, that that's one of that's where I'm wondering is. And and where I think Pastor Stanley is going down a dangerous path. That when he looks at the Bible as as a piece of literature and not God's voice, that's what I worry about. This This is what I'm worrying about. Pastor Stanley, Pastor Stanley's understanding of Holy Scripture is that it's not God's voice, but it's an extraordinary piece of literature based on an event. Right, And again, Pastor Durbin does a nice job of pointing out what the problem is with that. Let me just kind of wrap this piece up with uh, this part up a bit because we're going to move on to, you know, you know, Old Testament morality, Old Testament, uh, the Ten Commandments, these sorts of things. I think we can get caught so caught up in in the resurrection of Christ that we don't realize what that's founded on. All right. And Pastor Durbin's going to make make a point about this that I'm going to bring out later on in the podcast. Um our faith is founded on God's word, not 
And I wouldn't say not on the resurrection. Yes, it's founded on the resurrection, but the resurrection is founded on God's word. So here's how it goes. Our faith is founded on the resurrect on on God's word. That's exactly if, if I was if I were pastor of any tra- you know. And that's that. And he did say that. What's your pastor Stanley asking? What's your faith founded on? The word of the living God. Right answer. I just I, I wish he would have stuck with that every time and would have pounded Stanley every time. Hey, Pastor Stanley, when you say Bible, you mean God's voice, right? That is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's founded on God's word. The resurrection is founded upon that, and thus our faith. That's the sequence. That's you know, you, he Pastor Stanley's got the sequence out of her. He's talking about sequence here, and that's the problem. All right. So so remember that we we do want to be able to defend the resurrection, but it but it's not the knockout argument. Here's the bottom line. Honestly, I best construction, right? Here's me being fair, Rob. <laughs> Pastor Stanley's trying to circumvent having to defend Holy Scripture. And you just can't do it. You cannot defend the faith properly. You cannot defend your faith without being able to defend Holy Scripture. You cannot do it. And that's why I'm a Lutheran. Because I don't think the dispensationalists can do it. I don't think the Calvinists can do it. I don't think the Romanists can do it. The reason I'm a Lutheran is because is the I have always valued the Bible. Even through my times at Claremont, I valued the Bible. Whether I viewed it as God's voice or whether I viewed it as literature, which I did at Claremont, I've always valued it. And the Lutheran articulation of the faith has helped me to defend the veracity of Holy Scripture better than any other faith tradition. Plain and simple. So if you want a reason to be Lutheran, that's it. That's it. When I... That that was... Really, was the thing that the Holy Spirit used to convince me that, that the Lutherans have it. They had a, a coherent understanding and description of 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 the of the continuity of the entire bible the bible is god's voice how do we put this put this together the lutherans have explained it to me better than anybody so far and there's no there's nobody else out there uh dispensationalist no way i was been there done that calvinists nope been there done that romanists I already know about that. Haven't tried it, but who who else is going to come along and explain to me how cohesive Holy Scripture is from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, right? 21, 22. All right. How are you going to explain that? How are you going to put it all together? The Lutherans did that the best, and that's why I'm a Lutheran. Period. End of story. All right. Let's go on. Let's talk about um, an on-ramp that sometimes puts people off, um, which, which in your view, is often is the Old Testament. And it's the fact that we, a lot of people maybe have issues with that and that, that they, they don't understand it. There's mysterious. There's bits that are hard to make sense of in today's contemporary culture, Andy. Um, and, and this is where I think the 
a lot of the the debate has revolved around. I think we've actually covered a lot of the the underlying issues in this discussion so far. But um, when it comes to the words of Jesus uh, and the way he refers to himself in the Old Testament, uh, he obviously Mm -hmm. says, I I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Um, So so to what extent, you know, is what you have in your mind that idea that the law is no longer um, binding on Christians today that it's obsolete in that sense because a lot of people well, I think have then assumed you're also saying that about the Old Testament the Old Testament is somehow a, a, you know an old thing it's obsolete that we don't kind of need to worry about or think about it anymore well the word obsolete is as you know is not original with me so I, who would say that um, only the author of Hebrews but anyway and within he meant something by that and pretty clear the, the the challenging thing for most Christians is they don't make a distinction, and it's preacher's fault, a distinction between the Sinai Covenant and the Old Testament. The Old Testament includes more than the Sinai Covenant, but from, you know, the Sinai Covenant forward to Malachi, everything's happening within that I will, if you will, uh, relationship between God and Israel, other than Jonah, other than some, you know, uh, other literature. So, but no, the God made a covenant with Israel, um, I mean, you know, you can read it in Exodus um, and we weren't there and it wasn't a covenant with me and it wasn't a covenant with you. We're, we're blessed by God's covenant with Abraham through, you know, the nation of Israel, God would bring about Messiah and we've all been blessed through him. So the differentiator to me is the old covenant, the old covenant being the Sinai covenant and the new covenant established by Jesus. And we've been invited to be included in the new covenant. Thanks to the, you know, God's providential work from the time of Abraham on. So to me, again, this is, it's just very sequential. It's very simple. And um, to to what extent in your view, Andy, does that make some of the Old Testament laws, like for instance, the 10 commandments irrelevant because you, you you say, you say that here's the thing. Everybody agree. Everybody agrees that we don't keep the, the Sinai covenant in total. Everybody agrees with that. Most of it's illegal in the United States, the UK and Canada, or not most of it, but much of it. So then we're down to which, what do we leave in and what do we leave out? What do we leave in? What do we leave out? And that's where the disagreement is. And there's groups that believe we could have categories, the moral law, the ceremonial law, um, the civil law. And then there's others that say, no, it's just one. We can't, we don't get the privilege of slicing and dicing. This was God's covenant with the nation of Israel. And we're not Israel, and we have a new covenant. So, so we got a subject change here. What part of the Sinai covenant are we, are we supposed to obey? Um, the parts that the New Testament authors tell us to obey. I mean, this 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 baffle, this this demonstrates to me that Christians don't know their Bibles. So when Pastor Stanley talks about, I don't, you guys should go back a couple of years ago, maybe three years, when I was covering the hyper grace movement, Pastor Farley, Andrew Farley of, of the church without borders or walls or something, whatever his church is called, where he talks about, it's all, you know, this hyper grace movement. Where there's no obedience required, where there's, you know, we could just basically ignore the commands of Holy Scripture and still be Christians. That's what this reminds me of. This is the direction Pastor Stanley's going. This is where Tolian Chavichin basically went. It's very attractive. I was caught up in it. 
probably Javichin did it better than anybody, but maybe Pastor uh, Andy Stanley's going this direction, but I'm not sure. Who knows? Well, no, I know. I know exactly what Pastor Stanley's trying to do. He is trying to get more people coming into his church than are going out. That's what he's trying to do. That's what every pop evangelical megachurch pastor does. Because I promise you, there are tons of people going out of his church. He's got to get ton, uh, two tons. He's got to get one ton out and two tons in. And so if he can say, hey, don't worry about the commands of Holy Scripture. Don't worry about, especially the Old Testament. Don't worry about that to be a Christian. I don't know. How do we slice and dice the Old Testament? You know, the, the, how do we, where, where does you know Luther and Calvin and these people come up with the, the civil law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law? Is that just something we made up so we don't have to sacrifice goats anymore or not uh, have two types of fabric or? No, it's not. We. Okay, so the ceremonial law, first of all, that's what's mostly covered in the New Testament. And I was very offended. I got to be honest. I was very offended by how Pastor Stanley talked about the law being obsolete. Oh, by the writer of Hebrews, by the way. The, the writer of Hebrews is not a Marcion, Pastor Stanley. He's not discounting the commands given to us in the Old Testament. The Old Testament God is not a demiurge. He's the same Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we have now. So I was offended by that. Mostly what the New Testament writers deal with are the ceremonial laws. That Christ has fulfilled the ceremonial laws. And, and Pastor Durbin does a, a fairly decent job about that. Although, um, this is the part he lacks. Because where were all the food laws abolished? In Acts, when God says, I declare all foods clean to St. Peter. That's where we get that. Where was circumcision abolished? In baptism. All right. So we, we get the ceremonial laws abolished. Now, how do we get the civil laws of the nation of Israel abolished? Easy. Are you under a Jewish theocracy right now? So anybody that would come to me and say, oh, well, a woman who does this and that and the other thing, they have to be stoned. Um, no, they don't. Are we under a Jewish theocracy right now? I don't think so. That's that's how they're abolished. God brought God in his... And that's the thing. Is you have to presuppose God's sovereignty over world events. The Jewish theocracy has come to an end. God brought that to an end very pointedly in AD 70. There was no more Jewish theocracy. That was done. We don't live under a Jewish... So the civil laws are gone. Now, how do we determine... How do we make the distinction between civil law, ceremonial law, and more? You look at what the New Testament writers talk about. Do they talk about homosexuality? You better believe it. Do they talk about um, obeying parents and authorities? Yes, they do. Do they talk about not murdering or murdering or slandering your 
you know, murdering or hating your brother in your heart. Yes, they do. Do they talk? Do they talk? And the, the Sabbath. Shocked to hear. I mean, it was, it's amazing to me to hear Pastor Stanley talk about the Sabbath in one breath and then talk about the writer of Hebrews in another breath. Do we keep the Sabbath? Yes, we absolutely do. If you don't keep the Sabbath, you're not a believer. Because Christ is our Sabbath breath. Okay, got to get a little bit more of this in. Starting to preach a bit here. Let's move on. You can keep all the Ten Commandments and be a terrible husband, terrible friend, terrible employee, but you can't take 1 Corinthians 13 or the fruit of the Spirit and be a terrible friend, father, mother, husband, or wife. So the fruit of the Spirit, the manifestation of God's Spirit in us, is manifested through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, those attributes connected to what does it look like to love as God through Christ loved us are so compelling and they're so powerful. I just don't know why people would want to go back and say, I'm... You know, I I keep the Ten Commandments. Yeah, if you if you're walking in the Spirit, you're going to keep the Ten Commandments. But all right, so <laughs> that I just that blew my mind when Pastor Stanley said that you could be you you can keep the Ten Commandments, and be a terrible husband. But no, you cannot. That's exactly what the Pharisees were doing, and that's what Christ pointed out in the Sermon on the Mount. Was you people think you are keeping the Ten Commandments, but you are in fact not keeping the Ten Commandments. You cannot be a terrible person and keep the Ten Commandments. Period. End of story. The Ten Commandments are indeed an outline of the moral law. The natural law. And as we see it fleshed out, in the Old Testament, and knew what it means to honor your father and mother. See that fleshed out. So I love, again, that's why I'm a Lutheran. Because Luther took the fourth commandment and said, honor your father and mother. And he fleshed that out according to Holy Scripture and said, this is what it means to keep the fourth commandment. Okay, so what Pastor Stanley, I think that was a flippant comment, but it, it was striking to say that... For him to say that people who keep the Ten Commandments uh, can be terrible people, it's not true. It's absolutely not true. Well, again, he went in a circle and he ended up with, we have a different kind of temple. It's new, 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 new. I, I agree with the his conclusion. I I mean, he doesn't keep the Sabbath, I guess. I mean, I mean, we, and again, where do we get permission to slice and dice the Sinai covenant? And we, oh, we're going to keep the Ten Commandments, but we're not going to keep the penalties that go with those commandments. Okay, so, <laughs> right. Doesn't keep the Sabbath, I guess. Again, that's what I was pointing out before. He's, he's going to appeal to the writer of Hebrews for how the law is obsolete. But yet he's not going to appeal to the writer of Hebrews for what it means to keep the Sabbath. And maybe even just looking at what Luther wrote about that might be an idea. I mean, after all, you Protestants, every one of you out there, your faith is founded on what Martin Luther did. So it might be an idea, just a, just an idea to go look at what he wrote. And, when, and the penalties? How can you even say that? That This just makes no sense. Who paid the penalties for us breaking the Ten Commandments? That's the gospel. All right, so, th I mean, this is this is the stuff I would put Pastor Stanley on the ropes with. I mean, again, um, I, I, I would have 
beat him down pretty good with this. Let's let's see if we can get a couple more things in. Now, Pastor Durbin did a really did do a really nice job, and I want to finish out by playing you a clip of of, of really a good summation of what Pastor Durbin did. He did a really he did a nice job in this, and he was trying to be nice to Pastor Stanley, who I think is a smug, arrogant jerk sometimes. That that's what I think. Maybe I'm not putting the best construction on that, but I think Pastor Stanley is that way. He's got a gigantic church. Why was why should he give Pastor Durbin the time of day? Anyway, let's let's close with this, and uh, we got to finish out for today. He then goes on to tell a story. My point here is that the resurrection itself is not just an event in history; it's an event in history that's connected to the promises of God, which you would agree with, Andy. I'm sure I know that you will. But you're creating a disjunction at this point, and you're saying it's just the event in history. You just need to know about this event in history. The Apostle Paul, in fact, does in 1 Corinthians 15. Yes, he does quote scripture, Psalm 110.1. He must reign until he's put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy is death, and that's when he delivers the kingdom over to the Father. So he does actually connect the Old Testament prophecies of Messiah right inside there. It's it's in tandem. My point here is that you 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 have to see the resurrection the way that the early Christians did, and that the, and that is that it has meaning because it is connected to the promises of God in the biblical worldview. It's not just an miraculous event out there in the world, sort of suspended. I, I agree with all that. I agree. With all that. Finish, let me finish the thought, and this gets back to to before I, I I didn't get a chance to finish the thought. When God gives a test of a prophet, He says, even if they have signs and wonders but they lead you after other gods. What's that mean? God's previous revelation of himself is the standard. It's the testing point. So even if you have somebody rise again from the dead, and Andy, you and I know, we're pastors. You and I know that we have to deal with people who are deluded today by a lot of this, uh, you know, these people who are doing these false miracles and making legs grow and, you know, <laughs> And, you know, bringing people up on stage that have been preset to come up there and stand up and all those things. Well, there's signs, there's wonders, there's miracles. There are people who have even claimed in history to have raised people from the dead. Right. Yeah. That's a great point by Pastor Durbin. Let's say, let's say we had in, in our modern day and time, let's say I died. Let's say I died. They put me in, in the grave. And then three days later, I rose from the dead. People would, you know, what 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 would go on? That's 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 I mean, that's the problem with Pastor Stanley's approach to this. Okay, yes, we should defend the resurrection, no question about it. But a guy, just a random guy, I'm a random guy. I die. Put me in the grave. Three days later, I rise from the dead. What does that mean? Does it mean anything? Apart from what God says it means from his word. I mean, think about the crucifixion. If you were wandering around Jerusalem that day when Christ was crucified, you walked by there, you would have no idea what that meant apart from God's word. That's the foundation. Now, we, of course, the, the resurrection is everything. But it is founded on God's word. All right. And, and, and I can see why people would confuse us. I understand it. It makes sense. But Pastor Durbin point, gives, gives a great point there. 
signs and wonders, people rising from the dead, being healed, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't mean anything apart from God's word. All right. Got to go. Thank you to everyone listening on KNNA The Cross. Thank you to Steve Kozar and MessedUpChurch.com. Donate to the Christian Well Project. We'll see you next week.